0: All right, welcome to a another special episode of Audit Refrain. We've got Makeup and Vanity set on Welcome Matt. Hey. We're going to be talking about 8888 and all of the uh, things that you've ever wanted to know about it. Well, whatever Matt has to say about it, I suppose. Um it's going to be a really fun episode. Please follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. If you need those hot Synthwave um, vinyl picks. Hot takes. Hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> you need to go. Uh, also, catch us on theparadisearcade.com. We've got all our stuff there. And I suppose I should mention, I keep forgetting this, and I always do, we do have a Patreon page. I forget that we have it. I don't, like, I I just can't whore myself out enough to to like keep mentioning right, it. Yeah, but yeah. it's there. It exists. If you feel compelled, please contribute. Because... This is just all out of pocket for us. We're not sponsored, so we're out of pocket. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, so um, do that, please, and then we're gonna get talking about eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Um, Matt, how you doing today? I'm good, really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna make a total confession. We've been talking for like the last hour and a half, so it's true had plenty of conversation yeah. now i'm just gonna shut up and not say anything, <laughs> You're not say anything.
1: you have nothing to say like, anymore i made this track next i
0: did a thing yeah like it yeah I just made that music <laughs>
1: yeah uh
0: so this is this has actually been a really highly um requested thing people want to know about this album it's a thing for you i have to imagine do you feel it's your most well known
2: sought after album. Is it the most thing you get the most questions about? I don't know that's the thing I have the most questions about, but it is definitely the it's definitely has the most popular songs um as far as like things that people are always curious about or, you know, uh when you look at like Spotify and things like that, like there's tracks on there that people go back to and I think you know we've been really fortunate to reissue it a few times on vinyl, um, and it's uh, it always sells super fast and just disappears. It's um, absurd. Yeah, and so yeah, I think I think it was a, a kind of a weird, uh, crazy experience to make it, and um, yeah, for for whatever reason, it's the one that sticks for people. So.
0: I've been talking about this, doing this kind of this version of the show for a bit and, and kind of like testing it out to certain people that I know. And it's that people consistently follow. Hey, when are you doing the When are you doing the 88 thing? When are you doing it? When, are you, when is it happening? So I'm really excited that we actually get to talk about it. Yeah. And
1: I know that there's there's just a lot of interest in it. And I mean, this is really the the catalyst for the idea of the show, wasn't it? just like oh yeah absolutely
0: yeah this album we created this entire show matt just so we could talk about this album
1: (laughs) how sick are you talking about how sick are you of talking about this album
2: yeah i made some
1: music (laughs) (laughs) oh
0: yeah i mean that's fair thanks yeah (laughs) cool we did the show it's it's amazing it's all everyone ever wanted to know about it was actually an
2: app i just typed in some things and it just spit out the music i didn't actually do anything some marvels of modern technology it is
0: so um you know you could program ai bots to do any amount of crazy things so yeah. like you could program an ai bot to make an acdc song
2: mm.
0: and
1: the results are well, if, i heard that nirvana one
0: yeah they're nirvana and then there was shit was there's a bunch of them and i feel that they're all pretty legit you know like acdc especially i should probably send that to power nerd because that'd be really funny he's a huge acdc freak um and so maybe like you just pop, popped it into an ai thing and this is just what happened
1: i'm upset right now why like what if that just happens to be the next new thing Is just ais are making music
2: it's too late it's already happening i think yeah i mean i don't know wasn't that thing it was a thing like there was a robot that like made art and then minted it as an nft or somebody did and oh yeah like, i'm gonna make some music next and i was like cool Yeah, I think, Uh, I don't know.
0: That's weird. I mean, music is math, right? And computers are ones and
2: zeros. Oh, I mean, like, once you dive into modular music, you know, when you're making music with modular synth, there's so much generative space. I mean, you can define uh, a bunch of parameters and just let it go to town and see what happens, you know? And I think stuff like that is really fascinating. I don't know how nuanced you would get you know you're not going to have i don't know that to the extent that you could tell an ai to uh you know pursue an emotion or to pursue an idea or to have an overall concept for a, a bunch of songs for a record you know um but it'd certainly be interesting i think it'd be kind of strange to hear what, what the results would, would be it like. sound
0: like apex twin
2: i mean I'd buy how it. Could, sure. How could you tell how could you tell an AI to make it sound
1: more alien? <laughs> well,
2: what do you mean? Do you mean xenomorph or do you mean Oh, See, now we're, yeah. now we're
1: asking the important <laughs> questions right
0: now? So anyways, uh eighty eight eighty eight. Yeah. It's it's a it's it's a Mavs milestone, so to speak. Yeah. Um so talk about kind of the how the project came to be and the initial kind of coming up with the stuff so the goodness
2: my friend uh, Joey Chicoline and his he had a writing partner at the time Sean Wilson they had made a short film called 8888 and he reached out to me and said I have a uh, we'd like to license a song from a record I made called never let Go it was, an, it was more like an EP. And he was like, we want to license this song for the end credits. You know, would you be into that? And I met with them and talked to him about it. And at the time, like I'd never done anything like that. Never licensed a song, certainly never scored anything. And he was like, well, you know, like maybe would you be into like doing some light scoring, you know, like maybe like score it a little bit, you know, and I was like, it's fine. (laughs) And I remember thinking like, I remember thinking like, cool, you know, that sounds really, really awesome. Like, let's do it. And um, so they sent me the short and I watched it. The short's essentially about a girl and it's, it's one of those things where it has a device where you don't, as the viewer, you don't really know what's going on. And this girl comes home and she's got this box full of stuff and she's sort of playing a message on her answering machine And the message is like, you know, we're really concerned about you, you know, all this stuff. And then so she goes upstairs and she's in her bedroom and she's like doing all this work. She has like a power drill and like some like, you know, uh, like uh, tie down, like ratcheting straps and like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, clearly she's like preparing for something. And then she kind of like gets ready for bed and brushes her teeth. And then she like gets into bed and like she's like ratchet strapping herself into this bed and she's like she's not going anywhere the bed's been like screwed into the floor and so she goes to sleep and as she goes to sleep she's got this big uh digital clock on her nightstand and she drifts off to sleep and the 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 numbers on the clock sort of start flickering into 8888 which is where the title comes from and uh you know it's like when you first turn on a clock and all the all the all of the uh illuminated space on the clock face lights up and it's 8888 and suddenly there's this bright flash through the window and there's an alien that's like trying to abduct her and uh you know she's trying to save herself essentially and so she successfully like fends this alien off there's this kind of weird hand that comes in through the door and, you know, it ends and she's kind of been victorious and, uh, you know, I scored the a thing and I remember they tempt it with uh, music from Drive. So it was like the sort of Cl- uh, Cliff Martinez, mm. sort of uh, Brian Eno-y, you know, vibe from, from Drive. And so I went in and I, I put all this like sort of ethereal stuff in there. And Joey came back and said, no, 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 this is all wrong. Like, we tempted that, but we don't want that. And I was like, okay. So then I did some stuff that was more brooding and kind of darker in places. And um, they, the scoring process was great. I, we didn't really know what was going for the end credits. We hadn't really talked about it. And I took a trip and I was in the mountains And I, everyone in the house was asleep and I came downstairs and I laid on the couch I was awake before everybody else and I could see like the kind of mountains were in the distance and I had my laptop and I opened it up and I just started making some music and I made what became the bones of a glowing light, a promise, kind of sitting on this couch. And I remember like after I made it, I sent it to Joey and Joey was like, okay, this is it. This is the end credits. Like this is the end of the movie and he was like no one else can have this (laughs) He was like very (laughs) adamant and so i was like okay great and so i gave it to him and um that was the beginning you know that was kind of the impetus of the record it was like okay um you know once that track fell out the rest of the album fell out and it really fell out in largely in sequence and it was really me thinking about having watched the movie over and over and over again scoring it it was me thinking about what happens after the events of the film, you know, it was like, if this was a full length and in my mind, it's funny. Cause Joey and Sean wrote a full treatment for a feature. And afterwards the film did great. It, like they submitted it to the YouTube, uh, this thing called the YouTube film festival, which was curated by Ridley Scott and Michael Fassbender. They were like making Prometheus yeah. at the wow, time. Yeah. And it like was, it was like second place. Like they went to the Venice film festival and they got to go to Dubai and do all these, like it did really well. And, um, they wrote a feature script and they, you know, he got an agent and he was like, oh, you know, talking to all these people in Hollywood and he like had meetings at bad robot. It was like really cool. And I think, uh, in my mind, it's funny cause the script they wrote was nothing like what I imagined when I was making the record. Cause in my mind, what I imagined was something, some cross section between alien, you know, like Sigourney weavers, like Ripley versus this alien force, you know, and Evil Dead 2. <laughs> it was essentially wow. like a small okay. space because she was in this house, you know? Yeah. And so I thought there's like an alien and it's crazy and like they're in the house and she's got to fend for herself. And I know the record doesn't necessarily reflect that. doesn't sound like that. But to me, I was thinking of it as like a... Because up until that point, I had made a bunch of... Because at that point, Synthwave was still not... I don't think the word Synthwave existed yet, maybe um and i had done the charles park record i had done two charles park records no i had done three i had done all three and i really was sort of spent on the whole giallo synth way, synth you know kind of like going back to that sort of thing and so when i made never let go never let go is kind of like the gateway drug of like here's this thing that's sort of synthy and maybe science fiction-y. Um, and then when 88 came along, it was like, okay, I'm going to make this record that's going to have a very science fiction-esque feel to it. Um, but it's going to apply all the things that came out of the giallo, like, kind of vibe. And the end result was that music. And in my mind, I was picturing Val, the main character, um, running around fighting an alien. Like Sigourney Weaver. Like Sigourney Weaver. So, the short still it's short still on YouTube. It's still up there. It's in YouTube and Vimeo. You can find it, and it's great. It's still, it's still amazing. I, I think Joey's a genius, and um, yeah, it was a wild time of my life, like just getting to do that.
0: It's got to be, you know, pretty um, reassuring and and gratifying to know that the music you made for this is as popular and memorable. As the short itself. It's as sure. en- enduring. You know, like when a, f- a score can transcend what's supposed to be, you know, because a score is supposed to be something that works. It's like a symbiosis, right? It's supposed to mm-hmm. add to the film, it's not supposed to overtake it, it's supposed yeah. to add to the emotions and everything. And this piece of series, pieces of music have gone beyond what the short is and is now like, have you seen the <laughs> meme where it's like, first listening to Synthwave and it's a guy closing his eyes and it opens up and it closes again. And then it opens up to the
2: cover of eighty-eight, eighty-eight. 88. It was actually Ryan from arcade high sent that to me. I was like, you're a meme now. And I was like, no, this is amazing. I think, you know, making the record was a incredibly, um, the process of it was very simple. It wasn't complicated. It was just, I just did the thing that felt natural and I just followed it through to the end. And then when it, when it was done, you know, and, and the crazy thing about the film and what I really appreciate about the film and later with wilderness, you know, when, when I made wilderness, Joey made uh, a short film called Idolon, which was a component of that. And he and I still collaborate on stuff to this day. Um, we will probably collaborate forever. I think that, um, the record really tied us together in a way that like, uh, you know, you just, you just know when you encounter people who are creative, who motivate you and inspire you, I will always be grateful to Joey and to Sean for, uh, creating what they created because it, it became this pathway for me to make a cool thing. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a real, uh, I don't know. It was a real surreal experience, and then also like st- like you know the the process of finishing the record, and then I sent it to Casper Newbolt who created the artwork, um, which in and of itself is its own thing, you know. Right, it's iconic. Um, that's yeah. what yeah. I was, was going so, to ask about. That. And Casper, you know, did what he does. He makes crazy stuff, you know. And I love it because it's not. Um, I I feel some a while ago somebody sent me this thing that somebody made on Reddit that was like a flowchart of like you know albums of the synth synth wave like lore the history of synth wave or whatever and they put 88 on it and I still love it because the album art is not inherently obnoxious you know it's it's sort of uh it's its own thing it's not a DeLorean you know it's not like (laughs) it's not there are no grids yeah it's not a
0: vector grids there's no sunset there's no sunset
2: and But again, like, I think at the time I wasn't thinking, like no one was thinking about that. I think that it was just sort of like, this makes sense. You know, the face on the cover is the face of Rachel, the actress who played Val in the film. Um, And yeah, it was just a wild time to just make something cool and to, uh, you know, see where it went. And I'll never forget, like, uh, Joey submitted to the Nashville Film Festival. And it actually, uh, they programmed it to play, they would program short films before like feature films. And so all of us went up one night and like went to the festival and we all (laughs) were all like sitting in the back of this theater and they screened it. And like at the end when the music came on, it was like so loud, you know, in the theater. And it was just this crazy feeling of like, man, this is insane. Like it's an insane thing, you know, to, and it's, what's hilarious about that is like, you know, here we are it's 2021 and like earlier this month i went to imax and watched godzilla versus kong and the same song was blasting in imax you know and joey like likes to joke about that he's like i love that uh godzilla versus kong ripped off my short film <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> right. he's like that's kind of his attitude like and i think that um yeah i mean it just i i, I don't know i don't have any explanation for the longevity of it i think that it just um i'm super fortunate that it that people responded to it and like it and yeah it's wild
0: i I would say like i think it has a lot to do with the fact that you're very uh personable you're not a douchebag (laughs) and that that goes a long ways i was reading this thing about like basically arguing against the 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 eccentric artist that you can be creative and and brilliant and all of these things and not also be a good person and collaborative and and I think just your on top of your your abilities as a musician I think maybe just your ability to tune into a vision and collaborate well keep pushing it forward I think for it's you.
2: worth saying like the the concept of you know doing anything creative let alone music. You put the music out in the world and then people listen to it and it's up to them. It's their choice. Yeah. You know, they may love it, they may hate it. In the end, neither of those pathways have anything to do with me. Right? Um, and I've been lucky enough to have people come up or people send me emails or, you know, whatever to say like this record meant a lot to me or, you know, this music uh, got me through a hard time or identify with this or this, you know, and that kind of thing. It's super meaningful because at the end of the day, like once the record's done, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I don't go back and listen to that stuff. I just kind of leave it alone. You know, I kind of move, uh, you know, move on because you have to, it's like the way that you have to approach the work. I mean, I think that, so the idea that somebody goes back and they listen to it over and over again and they enjoy it, I'm, I'm always touched by that. I think that it's, um, you know, that's all you could ever really ask for, I think, doing anything creative. doesn't matter if it's music or anything else. I think the idea that someone takes that and it applies into their life in some way or speaks into their life, and then it, it, through their experience, like, I think that's crazy. I think it's great.
0: Let me ask a question. If you were only remembered for one thing – and it was eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Would that be okay with you? Sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think yeah. about that. But I think, like, I think that uh, you know, the idea that, um, the idea that it, it's meaningful to people is that is meaningful to me. You know, the music. It's strange because, like, when I when I made Wilderness, I remember thinking like, this record is so different than eighty-eight. You know and i think i was like people are gonna hate this and i think it was a testament to the wherewithal of people because at the end a lot of people came up and uh, later on and would say the same nice things about a record like wilderness they were like and i think it's because at the time synthwave was not really a um you know there were artists doing it but it wasn't like a, what it is now right and so I think for people, it was like it was kind of a totem for them. It was like they look back on it like, oh, yeah, this is a time in my life where I was going through this or I was doing this. And, you know, that's that's a that's an amazing thing. And it's something I've always been super precious about whenever I have those interactions with people. I think that um, and the fact that people were willing to go from a record like 88 to Wilderness means a lot to me. And I think that um yeah. So, I mean, if people want to, if you want, if they want to etch 88 into my tombstone, I'm good with that. <laughs> That's fine. That's cool. Yeah. Uh,
0: maybe at some point we'll have to talk about wilderness. If you can do it. I know that there's, there's a, a lot, lot of life. stuff. there's a lot of stuff that goes in wilderness for you personally. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack there, but we'll, we'll set that aside for now. Sure. Um, are we ready to listen to the f- uh, first bit of it? And it. Uh, okay, cool.
2: Hey, this is Anthony Scott
1: Burns, a.k.a. Pilot Priest, and you're listening to Paradise Arcade.
0: So, uh, a glowing light of promise. This is like, it's
2: such a hot track. Let's talk about it. I think the thing, the enduring thing about it, about this song is that it's, first of all, it's, it's a very dead-feeling song. I don't know how to explain it. It just feels... It just has a vibe and I think making it, I remember, so the baseline in it is super simple and it's uh, it's an Oberheim, it's an old Oberheim synth. And it just feels, it has that dead feeling. Like it's just kind of, it's like a lot of synths, you'll hear people talk about synths sounding warm or sounding, you know, analog synth sounds warm and I think the thing that really appealed to me about the sound of that bass was that it just felt so, it just, it just had this like guttural kind of feeling to it, you know? Um, And the song really began with the bass. And then when I started to add these arpeggiations over top of it, it was really about layering things in a way that sonically, like they could kind of, coexist but not step on each other and so you have kind of a couple layers there's like a brass layer that's sort of this brassy sound that's arpeggiating and then there's another layer that has this kind of bit reduced kind of it sounds almost a little crunchy you know and I think that all of those things when they kind of came together it's like there's times when you write music where you put the pieces together and you get this kind of feeling in your gut where you're like this is good and I felt that when that song came together, like I really felt, I felt like this is good. It feels good. Um, it feels right. And, uh, you know, and the drums, the drums are super simple. There's not a lot going on in the drums. And I remember like making the track, the bones of the track were there. I had all the ideas kind of in place and the thing fell together pretty fast. Um, and You know, in the end, I think the last pieces that really got added were there's kind of this sort of airy kind of ethereal sound that goes through the entire track and you hear it in the beginning of the track. It's that sound that's sort of at the very beginning. And that was there. And I think a lot of times, like when you're producing music, uh, I'll talk to a lot of a lot of people send me music and be like, I'm, you know, I'm new to this and I'm producing. Like, can you give me some notes or tell me what you think? And I think for a lot of people, the thing that people miss out on is they miss the idea of, like, a pad sound or some kind of sound that runs through a track. I know, like, music producers that will bury the sound of, like, crowd noise in a song or something just to kind of fill in the space. You know, it's almost like white noise. And for me, like, that was the glue that held the whole thing together. And the final, final bit... Like if you go back through the sessions, you'll see the iterations of it. And it's like the track was sort of just started, and then I got the idea to fade the drums into the track, which I'm a big fan of doing that. I love that. It's kind of like an old weird, like there's all these old metal songs where the drums like it's some kind of thing and the drums kind of and I love that. I think it's just I I, I think it's cool. Um so the idea of bringing the drums in gradually and then the final piece was the dialogue from the film which is the last dialogue in the short so she literally the thing ends and she picks up this sort of glowing object off the floor which is a glowing light of promise that was the the where that came from and she calls the guy who left the voicemail at the beginning of the film and says it's me i need to show you something you know i have something you need. and it's like And I think that putting that in there effectively tied the thing to the film for me, you know, it was like, okay, this is a continuation of the film and now we're off and this is it. You know, she's like, I'm, and, and to me in a, in a way it was like, you know, I, I thought about it literally as the moment at the end of aliens, you know, when Ripley steps into the loader, you know, and straps herself in, (laughs) and she sees like the queen and calls her a bitch you know it's like i'm ready (laughs) and i felt like in a way it was kind of like that was it it was like the moment of uh okay we're we're in this we're doing it and so it it's it's half kind of victory and it's half kind of um the seed of something bigger and um yeah it 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 became the end credits of the film and then it became the first track of the record
0: and not the end track of the record
1: yeah i yeah. feel like we became closer and better friends <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about yeah like this is good because that's like when somebody asked me like what do you what do you think of this i'm like yeah this is good
2: <laughs> or just, like yeah something... it's bad i can't compound so, like <laughs> there's something about in synth music there's something about a driving baseline that just does it for people and I think that and it's weird because in my music uh, as it progressed and I made more records I've been really hesitant to just go back to that because I feel like with a glowing light it's like I did it you know like I did the thing and it was done and now I'm like I don't know that I just want to go I don't know that I'm going to do anything better than that you know like it feels it feels good i don't know why i'd want to go back to it you know
0: it it sort of does remind me though from your overpass soundtrack a little bit of waterwood way just a little bit there's that same kind of like driving base in a sense that it's it's neutral but also like has a way to like grip you and kind of carry you in an emotional way like I, i
2: the the interesting thing about me as a kid growing up is my dad used to listen to my dad my dad drove a an old Chevy Lumina and he had like a spoiler on the back, like it was like kind of hot shit. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> and so like in his car he had a tape deck and he had like a handful of tapes. I think he had a Sade tape. Um there you had, go. He had a and he had the four seasons. Vivaldi, and the thing I didn't put this together until years later. But the thing about Vivaldi is Vivaldi's this great, uh, very fast-paced Baroque music, and the whole thing about Vivaldi is Vivaldi's all about arpeggiation and ostinato over a moving bass note, which is, in a nutshell, the music I make. And it makes sense. I mean, I think that yeah. like, uh, you know, I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think listening to the four seasons while my dad drove me back and forth to like catholically basketball games, <laughs> like, like whatever that I was playing whatever sport I was playing. Like, I think he, I think that just planted a seed and I, yeah, you know, and it all came, it kind of came to fruition, uh, in that moment, like making that song, I think, um, I don't know it's weird and I, at the time like again like the sun was coming up i was sitting and sitting looking out the window and making this this song and at the time i didn't think of it as a record i just thought of it as like i'm sitting here dicking around <laughs> you know and i sent it to i sent it to joey and he was like and at the time i thought okay great it's the end credits i don't have to worry about this you know and yeah became the first the first record or the first song on the record so
0: and in a way it kind of perpetuated you on this whole journey where you're at now. Sure. Right. With it, with everything else and talking about how it loops back to, you know, being on Kong versus Godzilla. Like that's yeah. what an incredible thing for dicking around.
2: Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing I think that's important to point out is like, uh, it's a good point. Like you never know and you can't, I had so many people tell me as a kid that music's a, music is a hobby, not a career. And the thing is, like, there's so many people out there that in, a, in an instance will tell you a thing that will cut you down and make you think the thing that you love isn't worth loving. And that's bullshit. Like, you have to always – I was grateful because my parents were always super, like – my parents' attitude about it was always, like, I don't care what you do, just love the thing that you do and be creative. And I mean, I always look at I, everybody I meet, I'm like, I, you know, it's, it's like I meet people who love music who have no interest in making music. And I'm like, why? Why would you not want to make music? Like, it's magic, you know? It's just literal magic. And the idea that you could create anything, you know? Um, so I, I, and that's no judgment against people that don't make music. It's just me looking at it and going, there's so much space to create and do things. And I'm fortunate to be able to do that. And yeah, never say never. And don't ever discount yourself. Don't ever discount like you know, your your desire to try to like do something. Do it. Life's short. Just do it. Just do it. Nike. <laughs> do
1: what you wanna do.
2: Don't do what you don't want to do. <laughs>
1: Bring it back to Kyle's <laughs>
2: philosophy. You think that was on like their, that was like their list of like B slogans.
1: Like, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I, I want to hope that my first exposure to it was it's like inception. That's like, that was the first thing yeah. you want to
0: be the originator.
1: Yes. Well, right. Not me. The guy who said it to me, who I have since taken from. <laughs> oh, sure.
0: Which was probably an off the cuff statement.
1: Oh, I think he, he, he both thought about it like really hard and not at all when he said it. Like it was both <laughs> things at once. Wow, it was, it was a special thing. It sounds
0: like Nirvana to me. Mm. What a special state of
1: being. I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I went to college with a guy, a musician who was in a local band, who I would hang out with. It was one of my business courses, which was so weird. <laughs> that he was in there with me, but he had obviously, over the course of his years, done way too many drugs. Nice. And I, I don't even remember what he was talking about, but he's just like, yeah. Man, you know, and it was almost like he, he was channeling the dude. He's just like, it's just, you know, you do what you want to do and you don't do what you don't want to do. And I was just like, God damn, that's the most profound thing that you have ever said and probably ever will. I'm stealing that shit right now for you and I'm running with it. <laughs>
0: and it's been your mantra ever since.
2: It,
1: it certainly is. Served you well. So what else do you want to talk
0: say about um, the first track, the album?
2: um
1: or shall we move on do you play favorites with which movie it's in now? oh holy shit
2: oof no <laughs> good answer not at all i think the idea that anybody would want to put it in their movie is amazing and that like you know and it's i think it's cool i mean i to be honest with you like i'm the fact that it was in uh a 200 million dollar movie is is uh, amazing and as it as much as that's great it's also i think part of adam wingard the director just being like a cool guy and like doing me a solid (laughs) you know but i think at the same time like you know the fact that joey joey i think joey knew before joe joey knew more than i did when he heard it he was like this is a good song and always championed it and so like i I'm always indebted to Joey uh, Chicoline for his uh, just belief in me to be able to do it. I mean, the fact that he asked me to score it, I mean, none of this stuff would have happened if it weren't for that. So it's kind of a weird, uh, you know, we all kind of zigzag through life. Like we're like a weird pinball, but like we, the things we bang into and experience as we go, go along the way, it's like, who knows, man? I don't know. I was just super lucky. so It's a hot track. It's just the way it is. It's good.
1: <laughs> it's good. <laughs> but that, it's also good that you're like a parent with it. You aren't playing favorites. Yeah, you can't. All right. So
0: maybe we should move on to the cross. Let's do it. Track two. All right.
1: This is Occam's Laser, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade
0: uh let's talk about the cross
2: yeah the um i mean i think on this one this track more than any other track on the record you can hear the influence of daft punk i think that um in the drums specifically like i feel like the drum in this track is a is an 808 and it feels real boomy and the drum cadence is very much like a kind of french touch kind of uh almost kind of beat it you know like it has a real kind of vibe to it uh this track i remember specifically the there really weren't a ton of iterations you know like there weren't a ton of versions of this one like with with a lot of other tracks i might be looking at you know like with glowing light it was like okay we're gonna fade into it or we're gonna try a different thing or you know Maybe we'll try it with a bit of dialogue in it or something like that. With this one, I would just thought, okay, so if we're, if we're making a record, and really largely 88 happened in sequence, so this was the second track I started working on. I really felt like in a lot of ways it was me trying to convey sort of the there's like a sense of danger a little bit like the the way the the kind of mode of the the music itself and the arpeggiation and the key that's in. it's like it feels kind of it's like stuff's going on you know there's a there's a general sense of like movement there's a general sense of uh uh you know you still get a sense of like danger from the bass that kicks in but i like that it has this brooding kind of Like the bass that's that is there is definitely coming. Like there's a bass line to it, but that 808 is just like booming away, you know. And it once it starts, it really just runs the whole track. And I think, yeah, the cross was really, uh, uh, it was really just about that. And it was, uh, and the, the title came from the idea of the light uh coming in and when joey it's interesting because so joey made a series and they're still on youtube you can find them there's a series of video promos that he made for the record that we put out like in you know whatever early iteration of like myspace and facebook that it was at the time um he made these great video promos and he made one where it's like a uh a it's like a camcorder and it just picks up like the, it was pointed at the ground. It just kind of swoops up to the sky and it's an overpass in Nashville. And you see these three lights off in the distance and they start sort of moving in time with some music that's playing in the background. And it was this whole idea of like the cross of light, you know, um, from whatever this alien spaceship was or, you know, et cetera. And um, I like that. I like that it had this weird ambiguity. It was like because obviously cross is a you know a term, but it was like just this idea of of some strange uh, you know alien being showing up and you know having to ward yourself off from that. So yeah. You know what you're
1: saying that there is a sense of danger to it. But I also feel like you also get a sense of optimism out of it too.
2: Yeah, I mean it's an ascendant, it's an ascendant melody. You know, it's con If one thing that's kind of cool about it is it is it because it's it's all these layers of arpeggiation and they're all going upward. You know, so you, it feel, it almost feels like you're reaching up for something the whole time. And uh, yeah, I mean it was something I was conscious of. I kept thinking about the character of Val, you know, running around this house. I kept thinking about, like, an Evil Dead 2, you know, when, when Ash is running around. It's like the house, <laughs> right. and no one ever really talks about this, but it's like when you watch Evil Dead 2, there's that main room. There's, like, a bedroom. There's kind of a kitchen area. But then the house has this weird passageway around the ex- the perimeter of the house, that, but it's also kind of narrow. It doesn't really oh, make right. a ton of sense. and But there's extended sequences where he's, like, running from these, like, demons, you know, and I kept thinking about that. I kept thinking about like how it was almost like a maze and you're sort of constantly racing, you know? And I think, uh, you know, listening to it in, in hindsight, I hear elements of the cross in a track like Go from Shadow Circuit or, you know, like just this idea of melodically things are constantly reaching, constantly moving, you know, and I think when when i'm working on a score or I'm working to something visual i think a lot about momentum and i think about how you know the idea momentum's super powerful in music you know if you can and that's one of the beautiful things about arpeggiation is like it's a series of notes that are running in a sequence and if you do it right you can convey a sense of like you know some it's almost as powerful as like it, the the arpeggiation is as powerful as like a kick drum you know it's like a heartbeat it's like a pulse it's a it's a movement it's like a, the blood flow in your body you know and when i was a kid i remember like watching going to like science class and you'd watch these old like film strips and you know the music in the film strips were always like this weird kind of like proto synthesis <laughs> Kind of right, like yeah, st- right. Strange, and I. This is what science um, sounds like. Yeah, and <laughs> we're I, doing science I, things.
0: Just a science guy. Yeah, it's like
2: a strange, uh, you know, it's like the the life cycle of the of the cell or something. And like, <laughs> you know and I think you know, in a lot of ways, this music would be at as at home in something like that as it would be in these weird fantasies about what it, this what the feature of this film would look like in my head. So, um. You know, I think the cross was sort of this bridge bridge from, uh, you know, the opening track into the kind of action set piece of the rest of the film. In my head,
1: do you own the eight hundred eight that you used to make this track?
2: <laughs> no, it's uh, so I never owned an actual eight hundred eight. It's a sample, but um, I. It's funny because going back at the time, I was, I had made so much music, but I was also like, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, and, you know, I just, it's like everything in the kitchen sink, you know, like I look at it and I'm like, whatever works, if I can get it to sound good, I'm happy. And In a lot of ways, like I was not precious about the sources of the sounds I was not precious about oh it's a plugin or it's a you know it's an analog synth or it's a digital synth It didn't really matter just as so long as it sounded good. And I remember I had this like pack of sounds that I think I downloaded and it was like a it was like a zip file and it was like all somebody had sampled their 808 and just various. And I just loaded it up. And at the time, I was working in Ableton Live, and this would have been like many versions ago. And uh, I just loaded up one of those bass drum hits. And I was looking, but I was looking for something that had a lot of sustain. Like it was something that had a lot of kind of that boom. Because I think the, the thing that's really distinct about an 808 is the, the snappiness that you get from the, the very initial transient of it, and then that sustaining kind of bass sound nothing really sounds like that you know and so for me that was the main goal because i really wanted it to ring out because again i was thinking back to you know listening to just to uh homework um, and the power and the kind of oomph of the 808s on that record and how you know and, and you listen to that track and it's like that's how it functions it's it, it's like the 808 comes in then the snare drum comes in and then the this hi-hat pattern comes in and they all just kind of show up they kind of fade in you know which is another thing i mean like going back and thinking about records like charles park 3 you know the tempos on charles park 3 are all pretty pretty fast they're pretty snappy and i remember with a- with 88 when i first started i think the tempo on a glowing light is like a, is like 101 bpm you know which is slow um especially by synth wave standards i mean that's really slow and so the goal for me going into this was not to push it was to just let it be a slow burn you know and let it do, let it do its thing and um so i think that was also in the back of my mind it was like because you have to think about it when you make music you think about the sounds and how they interact with each other and, and almost as important as the space between the sounds in a way, which sounds real pretentious, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of true. Like, I think you have to consider like, okay, so if I'm going to hit this bass drum and it's going to have this long kind of tail on it, uh, you know, we have these things going on higher up. There might not be bass right away. There may not be some other thing. So how do all the sounds fit together and are they, you know, because you're you're if you're dealing with a slower tempo, you are dealing with more space as you build these patterns. So that was an important thing I kept thinking about as I was making it.
1: That's awesome. It's like tattoos. Yeah. You got if you're getting a bunch, you can't just have a bunch of random ones on your arm. You gotta get something to fill in the space in between. Otherwise it's really weird.
0: That is so profoundly true. <laughs> I know a couple of things about tattoos. Just a couple. Do you? Just a couple. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about with the cross?
2: No, I think that's the okay. that's the long and short of it. Yeah, for sure. Awesome.
0: All right, so let's get to system override.
2: Uh, hey, what's up? This is Ghost, and you're
0: listening to the Paradise Arcade. Just grooving out to it.
1: It's so hard to stop. When the the <laughs> Genesis esque
2: drums come slamming yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. This one in a lot of ways it was a it was kind of an excuse to to have a big tom fill you know it was like kind of like okay cool cuz i hadn't really done that and i think it's interesting cuz like so when i started making the songs and i knew it was going to be a record i reached out to joey who connected me to rachel uh rachel khan who is the actress uh who played val in the film and she was living in LA at the time. And I essentially just emailed her and was like, look, I'm, so I'm making this record and it's kind of a sister to the film. And it in many ways, I'm thinking a lot about your character and like what she goes through. And I was like, is there any way that you would be into recording dialogue? Because after, after the opening of A Glowing Light, like everything else on the record is not from the film. And so what I, what I basically did is I just, I, I was like, maybe you could like improv some ideas, you know, just come up with some ideas. And I kind of sent her, I think a, a couple things, but I was like, you know, really just think about the character and just, you know. And so I think she went in her closet, like on her iPhone and recorded dialogue and then just sent it to me. And I remember like, because like, this the, at that point you have to remember like at the time going into making this record um I mean a big a big touchstone for 88 is probably m83's record the when the dawn heals us like you know and one of the things I loved about that record is like that there's like little snippets of dialogue, you know there's like little, uh there's little voiceover moments and i remember just thinking like i love i love that you know i love that there's before the dawn heals us sorry um and i remember thinking like uh i was like yeah that i feel like it just makes it feel really cinematic it makes it feel very um you know kind of haunting in a way and so when Rachel agreed to like, you know, go in the closet like in her in her <laughs> apartment in LA or wherever she was living and record that stuff it like I think it really it really elevated it, you know, it really gave it that It really pushed it above Everything else because it just made it feel so raw and like um, I don't know it's, it was a really really it was a really big turning point and so With this track, you know, one thing that's interesting to me at the time is like I kept thinking about all the arpeggiation and I kept thinking about the different patterns. And like this track, especially, you can really hear it. Like it's really two iterations of the same melody. One is kind of this more staccato sound and it's kind of repeating. And then the other one is doing this kind of motif, but it's like an octave higher and it's a different sound. And one thing that I kept realizing when I was making this record specifically, like I kept realizing that I could take similar, I could, and and really it was a kind of a, a, a realization through the workflow of Ableton Live at the time is you could take the arpeggiator tool in Ableton and you could tell it to do different types of arpeggios but feed the same melodic information through it and create patterns that could lay on top of each other and be interesting but do different things and kind of so you had this weird sort of melodic diversity that was going on but it all felt uh it all had this connective tissue that held it together and i feel like you hear that in this song you know very strongly because it was really about those those things happening, and then that low bass synth and just opening that filter and having it be this big, you know, kind of wah sound as it kind of builds into the track. And so, yeah, with 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 this one especially, it was kind of like a. It was about that that big Phil Collins Tom film. <laughs> <laughs> like That's just long short of it. Yeah, I mean, it was about landing in that. And it also, this is kind of like you have this breather moment where you have, you know, the first track has Rachel's VO and it has uh, stuff happening. And then the second track is sort of this transitional thing. And then this one is sort of Rachel comes back, you hear Val's character, and then you hear, there's also a sample in this song. Um, And there's there's just... uh, I feel like this one is kind of like upping the ante a little bit. Like the drums are a little bit more kinetic and, and kind of crazy. And yeah, you just, you just have a lot of, um, I don't know. It feels more playful. It feels a little bit more like if the, if the, if the cross is sort of a little bit dangerous, but also optimistic at the same time, I feel like this one's kind of all danger in a way it's like more, the emotional uh cadence here is more about um you know going toe to toe with these aliens and like and i also feel like this track really feels science fictiony to me like it's the it's the one that really dives in headfirst into the kind of because i it's got her vo and then it's got also that um the sample and like just the um inherent kind of uh it just feels like a science fiction movie like when i hear it so, I mean, that's just me. Um, but I think, yeah, it embodies that. How did you come up with
1: uh, all the extra dialogue then for the album?
2: So, honestly, a lot of it is, is Rachel. A lot of it was her riffing on Val as a character. And it's funny because, like, she and I did not – we never met – we just did all this through like email through Joey and then years later um man i have to think about this but it might have actually been the same trip the trip of you know the trip where i went with Joey we go to LA we go to Netflix we screen death note and then i'm like going to eat dinner with with Adam Wingard and he's telling me oh i just got hired to shoot Godzilla and it's like all this crazy shit And we made the trip out to Santa Monica, which is, I think, where they were, I can't remember if it was Santa Monica, but they were living, um, Rachel and her husband, and I think they had a baby at that time. Uh, At that point, we went out, and that was the first time I met her in person. And it was awesome. It was great, because it was like, we had made this whole record together, her face was on the cover, you know, and and it was like, and we finally got to like sit down and just kind of hang, and it was, it was wonderful. It was awesome um and yeah i mean like i think so much of the of the the dialogue in the in the album is her riffing on val as a character um and i mean i had the same the exact same approach when it came time to do wilderness you know like a lot of the dialogue in wilderness was the same exact way the actress uh that i worked with della saba on that record you know i was like I just gave her a lot of space and said, you know, cause I, I tend to dive into things that way. Like, I think if I'm dealing with an artist who's doing album artwork, I'm not an artist, you know, you're an artist. Like I, and I, it's not my job to tell you how to be an artist. It's my job to sort of like, hopefully I made a cool record that you like and you can respond to with art. And I think the same, I feel the same way about uh, dealing with, um voice acting and things like that like i i trust you to be good at what you do you know and i want to be there to provide you everything you need to do a good job but i also want to I, I also think when you're doing anything collaborative in a creative way so much of it is about trust you know trusting the other person to be creative and do cool stuff you know and i think hopefully you uh, get involved with people in a way that you can trust that process, you know? Um, And yeah, with, with, with 88, I was, I was super fortunate because Rachel's uh, incredibly talented and, and super good at, at what she does and she just crushed it. I mean, she knew exactly what to do and what to say and, and she said it and it, and it fit perfectly into the record. It's awesome. Yeah. What else do you have to say about System Overplay? That's about it.
0: Cool. <laughs> Let's get into the collapse then.
3: Dana Jean Phoenix, you're listening to Paradise Arcade.
1: Let's discuss. I got a question first. Okay. So as you mentioned when we got to the cross, you're like, this is the second one that you did. Are the rest of the tracks still going in that kind of order too?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when I got to this track, I feel like I knew that I wanted something that was going to be a... I really wanted to do something that was different that I hadn't really done before. I wanted to do something that had a real slow burn to get into it. Um, I also kind of felt like at this point, we've had f- these like kind of back-to-back-to-back tracks that are about momentum. And have a drive to them and so i wanted to give this moment of like kind of reprieve kind of like a calm um i had this idea to have that kind of outdoor sound you know like the crickets and like the kind of sound of like a you know warm summer night because I, I kept thinking about uh, you know I, I grew up again we go back to like uh, the whole Evil Dead 2 thing like I grew up watching that movie and I think like one of the cool things about Evil Dead 2 is like you have all these great sequences in the house but you also have all these cool moments out in the woods and I was like man I really wanted to do something that was like okay so she's out of the house and she's like in the kind of tall grass you know like out in the woods kind of and so that was kind of the that was where the beginning sound comes from and then i had i had kind of come up with the the main synth melody and i i really liked the idea that it was kind of a staggered it had a staggered uh rhythm to it so it's kind of doing what like the arpeggiation operates kind of like almost like a um it has an anchor point like there's an anchor note through it and so all the other notes are kind of playing off that anchored note and I I like the idea of that sort of the filter opening up and it just kind of kind of bubbles out of that sound of the woods and and then as the track progresses I kept thinking I really wanted to do there was a track on the second Charles Park record um that I really loved that had this kind of building toms like you know just only toms i'm a sucker for toms like i'm like (laughs) if you can have a drum part and you have like tom fills and stuff happening not like big fills but just sort of like it's a tom based rhythm like phil
0: collins (laughs) like
2: phil collins but not (laughs) but not in a not in a fill like the actual drum part is just toms i feel like there's some kind of like really interesting kind of um I don't know. It's almost lulling in a way, you know, cause there's not the, the sort of like machine gun progressiveness of like a snare drum or a cymbal. It's like, there's this kind of nice Tom based thing that's happening. And so I was like, man, it'd be cool to have that happen. So it's like the synths are fading in, everything's fading in. The sound of that wooded feeling is kind of fading out. Um, but also, like, it's a chance to do this, like, really natural feeling thing. Like, if you think about it, you have this whole record now that's been going forward. And here now you have this track where it has almost, like, live drum feeling, you know, thing happening in the background. And the sound of, like, nature, you know. And so when you think about it on on that in that context, it's like, oh, that's weird. That doesn't fit. But in a way, it's like it's about the the, uh, you know. It, it it's about kind of throwing a, a curveball, you know, like doing mm-hmm. something that's a little bit weird, and um. And just seeing what happens, and so it's, the whole the whole track is like a huge crescendo. It just builds and builds and builds. Um. So, I, which I like that too, because I I thought of it like if you think about it in terms of like, uh, you know, like film score it's kind of nice. It's nice to have all this momentum and then have this moment where you get reprieve, but then it it's this giant build, you know, you're like building to a drop that doesn't really happen. You know, it's like, it just builds and builds and builds. And I always thought that was like a really cool, like misdirect. Um, and so, yeah, I thought, and collapse really was just it as a title, you know, at this point I'm like, okay, so Val has been like warding off, Uh, This alien and like fighting and 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 you have to understand like in the in the grand scheme of like in the short film You see an alien hand kind of come in the door and it's like green I think and it's like, you know It's so it's clearly like old-school kind of alien. We're not talking about like a xenomorph. We're talking about like
0: gray man, exactly exactly
2: like X files alien and Mm -hmm. I I, I appreciated that because I thought like, you know, the alien, the xenomorph is terrifying um, and it's kind of like designed as like this perfect killing machine, you know, whereas this is more kind of like a weird humanoid kind of thing. Um, and I like the idea that it was sort of in that way, it still had the killing machine quality. Like it could still be like, I'm never going to look at a xenomorph and think of it like a Terminator, you know? Whereas with this, you could look at it and be like, oh, it's this thing that just won't stop, you know? And so here she's maybe like battled her way through the house and she's now outside and she's like, oh, you know, like I have a minute, you know, to kind of sit and uh, kind of think and just like recover for a minute. Um, And so that's what this track was. It was kind of this momentary pause.
0: That's amazing. So yeah,
1: without seeing the short film yet i can think of it like this so like as we say the xenomorph type alien ultimate killing machine its end goal is one thing it's to either kill you or take you back for more aliens <laughs> i mean it's an erotic terror right and say maybe the end result for this one could be seen as more sinister because you don't know what the end result is going to be i'm getting i'm, I'm starting to think about too much
2: here. whoa kyle I like it. there's just that's happening. And, but I mean, like that's, that's that's the point. Like, I think what's great about what's great about a thing like this is it exists for that. Like, you can your imagination can kind of run wild. You know, the script that Joey and Sean made for a feature was kind of more akin to like a like a Super Eight. You know, like that movie. Sure. The, it was more like there were kids and it kind of felt a little more like Amblin, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Whereas in my mind, I was like, no, I, I kept thinking about it like uh, you know, woman versus alien uh, you know, kind of cat and mouse kind of thing. And I I don't know. I, it's funny because like if I look back on it, and, and if you took a poll and said, "Okay, like people that like this record, is that what you hear?" I would venture they probably don't. You know, they don't hear that. But I think, uh, you know, that's kind of the magic of making music and releasing it. It's like your your interpretation of what you hear. You're going to hear things in the music I don't hear, and I'm I you know I may hear things in the music you don't hear, but I think experientially it's kind of uh you know it is it is how it is for me to make it but once i've made it and it's out in the world and you hear it it's up to you man like and every interpretation that you have is is correct like i'm not i'm not here to dispute that so um it is it's weird i mean it's weird in a way like i know casper if he's listening to this he's cringing cuz his his standpoint is always like don't explain anything don't tell anybody anything you know um and i'm i'm okay with it because i feel i feel peace with it because i'm like it's my work is done you know so i'm i'm good
0: <laughs> <laughs> well and i think there's a difference of like you're talking about where you how you're approaching things the inspiration the mindsets sure. it doesn't invalidate Anyone else's thoughts? No, to no, no, no. their the experience of music. So there's a difference, you know, because some people are like, "This is what it means, and that's it." Yeah, and there's no other correct interpretation. And how you're approaching the explanation is just this is where I'm coming from. These are the things that were in, that inspire me, and how I approached it, which again doesn't invalidate anyone else's interpretation of of the of the music. So. Yeah, you know, I don't think you're. I don't think you're over-explaining really anything. Yeah. All right, are we ready for the next track? Let's do it. All right, Homecoming. This is Destroyer. You're listening to the Paradise Arcade. All right,
2: Homecoming. Yeah. So, what's great about Homecoming is that. I mean, it's re- it's all Jasmine. Um, Jasmine Cassett is the singer. Jasmine and I go back a ways. Um, we kind of came out of this whole group of friends from school. And uh, basically, a, a mutual friend of ours, w- she was making a lot of music. Um, we'd known each other for years. And... Uh, a mutual friend of ours was getting married and we there was like a party that got thrown at a a venue in nashville called the five spot and it was essentially like a private thing and everybody showed up and like basically my friends i guess the bands that he loved music that he loved were gonna perform at this thing and so I, i he asked me to come play and she was gonna play and so i showed up and i couldn't stay the I couldn't stay for the whole thing I had to leave early um, and after I played I came outside and I had my car parked out front I moved my car so I could like load out all my stuff and um, I was loading out my stuff and Jasmine was sitting out front eating some food she was like sitting on the sidewalk I think she had already played she either had played or she was about to play and she's sitting outside, she's eating some food. And I was just like, hey. And we just said like, hey. And we were kind of talking and I'm like putting all this stuff in the car. And I don't, I think she initiated it, but she was like, we should do something sometime. We should like write some music together. And I was kind of like, yeah, we totally should do that, you know. And at the time I was leaving because I had like personal stuff that was going on. And that's why I had to leave early. And it was like really heavy And it was like, I don't know, in the moment, uh, in all that heaviness, it was kind of like this moment of levity, you know? And I kind of left and it was just sort of this thing that was sort of filed away, you know? And as I started to work on this record, I thought it would be amazing to have a track that had vocals on it, which is something I had never done. And so I took a chance and I sent it to her and I was like, Hey, you know, I have this song and you know, what would you think about singing on it? And I sent it to her. And so she emailed me back and was like super enthusiastic and was like, let's do it. And she worked on it. And then she sent me uh, a draft that she had like sort of recorded the lyrics into like a laptop, I think. And I loved it. And the thing about Jasmine that is so brilliant, and I say this always, and I will always say this, is that she understands and perceives and processes lyrics different than anyone else I've ever met in my life. Um, The crazy thing about a song like Homecoming is you listen to the lyrics and you can go out right now and ask a bunch of people that have listened to this record over and over and over again, what's the song about? And I guarantee you, no one will tell you the songs about Hiroshima, which is what the lyrics are about. But no one's going to know. Wow. That. Yeah. Because it's just this, she writes in a very meta way. And the thing about it is like, I... You know, and it was, and and every time we've collaborated over the years, like she sang on two songs on Wilderness, and we made a whole record together as U Drive, and we'll continue to collaborate with she. She and I wrote a new U Drive song for the Girlfriend Experience soundtrack. She's in that show, and Homecoming actually shows up in the final episode of that show. Um, and I've always just the thing that I, the way that I look at Jasmine is I'm like, I'm very lucky to get to work with you. And so I give her a lot of space to just do what she does, because whatever it is that she shows up with is going to be in the song that I've made is going to be infinitely better for her having been on it. And so I think the important thing that I always come back to is like, I have to be precious about that collaboration, and have to treat it with respect. And um, uh, and so I'm always just like in awe of what she does. And and homecoming was the beginning of that relationship. And I'm, you know, and it and it continued through wilderness. I mean, the the things that she did on wilderness just crushed me. Like as far like when I heard those words. It was exactly the things that I needed to be said on those songs. And she did it all on her own. And then when we did You Drive, I was just continuously like, I just, um, I couldn't believe it. Like every song, it was like, I just, I was, I was like, I can't believe I'm making this record with this person. So Homecoming, you know, musically, it's funny. There's a very different version of Homecoming uh, with very different drums Um, that was kind of the original iteration and her vocals are on it. I'll send it to you guys and you can put it on your Patreon. Um, All right. Thanks. (laughs) And like, uh, it's, um, it's different. Um, And eventually I came back around and I changed the drums into sort of more of a staccato. It's a, it's a CR 78 drum kit, which is like a classic, very early uh, drum synth. And I liked it because it had this kind of very staccato kind of feel. It was, it wasn't like a real drum set. It was like a, you know, it had a very distinct, almost toy-like quality. And, and really the song is built around the hook, which is that central sort of descending melody line. Um, And so, you know, it, it was really just about, uh, you know, I, I had the general idea of the melody of the song, sent it to Jasmine, she sang on it, and then I just, and it's funny because that really set the stage for the collaboration that we've always had, which is, you know, with Drive, I would send her all the stuff, and she would just sing on it, and then she'd send me the lyrics, and then I would rewrite the song around her vocal, because I realized the thing that I made, she responded to, and then I respond to her vocal, and then the song's done. And we've always kind of, our collaborations have always functioned in that way. And, you know, Homecoming, I don't know, obviously like, you know, the, the thematic, the, you know, it's funny because like the, the lyrical content of the song and like what it is about, which I didn't know. I mean, I never asked her. I never said, so what's the song about? Like, she told me that years later and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's about Harishma right (laughs) but like i think uh you know the 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 way the song sits on the record it fits you know her lyrics are so meta and so hidden and mysterious but in plain sight and that's what she's so good at you know and so you listen to the song and yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's the way the lyrics come together and it just, it just fits. It just works. And I think I really wanted the song after this whole, like, you know, kind of, uh, kind of false build in collapse. I wanted homecoming to feel almost like a, like a warning. Like I wanted to feel Mm -hmm. a little bit like a, uh, like a, um, you know obviously the because of the placement in the record it's clearly i mean the song is the centerpiece of the record like it's the kind of like you know cuz at the time i was like okay i've got a i have a vocalist you know like this is a a big step i've never done this before and um i wanted it to be like a feature i wanted it to feel you know feature sounds gross that sounds like a real industry bullshit <laughs> <laughs> but like i really wanted it to be The central thing, and so, yeah. Like I think um, once I had this, once I had that CR seventy eight drum drum part, it the whole thing just fell together and felt and worked. Um, And yeah, it was. It's a testament to Jasmine and her genius. And um, yeah, it was the beginning of of a long and fruitful relationship. Um, And it's cool like and it's crazy cuz like just like this you know earlier this year i was in nashville um, you know we were recording her vocals for this thing for the girlfriend experience and like um, it was me and her and, and she has a, a producing uh, she's a friend who's a producer and an engineer jordan lenning who lives in nashville has a studio also incredibly just a gifted genius songwriter Um, And it was just the three of us. And it was funny because it was was the first time we ever sat in the same room, you know? Like through all of U-Drive, we never once sat in the same room and did it. We were always kind of like coming and going and sending each other stuff. And so it was kind of this great feeling of like, here we are, we're all like doing the thing, finally, all together, and from the seed of homecoming, you know? Um, So I'll always cherish homecoming as a song and an experience and just the the everything that's like blossomed out of that is just incredible so
0: it's so it's it the song has impacted you in many ways mm-hmm. it's deeply important to you it's personal yeah. it's the center point the anchor point to the album and has led to so many other things like many of the other tracks on this record
2: sure yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think about it in hindsight. And yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that doesn't, I mean, at the time it's like, yeah, you, th- you think back to it and you're like, man, it, it's, it's, it's completely absurd. You know, going back to the absurdist theme, it's completely absurd how it all came together, how we were, I was loading stuff into the back of my car and she's like, we should do a thing together. And here we are, you know, all these years later. And. Is that
0: serendipity?
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing you kind of live for, you know, you look for it and you're like, Oh man, that, that was incredible that that happened, you know? Um, So yeah, I mean, I'll always, I'm, I'm all in on the Jasmine Cassett fan club like she's the best and her music in her own right that she makes is incredible so I think yeah okay nothing but good things
0: should we progress let's do it so standing on the edge of a
1: moment here we go This is Trues and you are listening to the Paradise Arcade.
0: So let's talk about standing at the edge of a moment.
2: So I think... Okay, so like the whole... The idea of the whole record existing as a progression where every track happened in sequence is a little bit of a lie. Because this track... So one of the things that happened is when I finally laid the whole thing out, I had all of the tracks laid out in sequence and I realized I'm a huge Cliff Martinez fan I love him um, when I was in college I guess it would have been like late high school early college Solaris came out the Soderbergh Solaris and I remember going to see it and I remember thinking this is one of the greatest soundtracks I've ever heard um, the film score for that is outstanding and that was kind of the beginning. I was I was a huge Soderbergh fan, but that was the beginning of me being a huge Cliff Martinez fan. And one of the things that Martinez does that I think sets him apart from a film score standpoint is he understands space and like uh, and dynamics better than anybody. Like he just gets it. He understands how to use uh emotional space in a in a score and what i mean is like when you listen to the music of solaris you hear strings and you hear the standard kind of boiler part boiler boiler uh, plate parts of a film score but you get you get this emotional bandwidth in what he's doing that is just absolutely shattering and so you get these sequences and you get these crazy things happening and they're just really really wonderful and i felt like when i listened to the whole album in sequence i wanted a moment that felt like that i wanted a minute uh that uh where where it felt felt kind of haunting and not necessarily tied to the structure of what a song had to be. And so when I made uh, the EP Never Let Go, which was the thing I made before I made 88, uh, I had gone, I found this guy on Craigslist who was selling a DX7, a Yamaha DX7. And I went and I met this guy in a parking lot and he had this old DX7 that I think was from a church and they like... You know weren't using it anymore and they were just trying to sell it and so i bought this dx7 from i think for 300 bucks i'm not sure how much i paid for it but it was like i think it was something like that and it had like an old cartridge uh had one of the cartridges for it and i went home and i i set it up and i made uh essentially made the the ep and then when i started making 88 when i got to started thinking about this whole cliff martinez emotional space I sat down and I was like playing with the continuity of the record. And when we got to this moment, I just sat down with the DX and I ran it through some reverb and I just played this thing out. You know, like I didn't, I think it's just a recording. It's not even like, there's no MIDI. It's just straight audio into the thing. And I just recorded the chord progression and I did it twice on 8888. And, I feel like it provided that kind of emotional bandwidth that I think you need when you're working on uh, something like this. You're trying to tell a story. You're trying to give this kind of sense of uh, immediacy and danger and emotion. But you also need – it can't just be action all the time. You need a minute, you know, to kind of, like, process. And so – you know, we kind of get that a little bit in collapse. And then we have all this emotional information and in homecoming, you have lyrics, you have a female voice singing. And so I really wanted to sit in it and really, uh, you know, convey it in something that's just played out, no click. It's just, it's just, it is, you know, and that's really where it came from and i remember like we were trying to so steve uh, jenkins from telefuture records who released 88 originally which i mean that's an important part of the story of 88 essentially i made the record i was sitting on it didn't really know what i was going to do with it and steve uh, emailed me and said hey i have this label i'm from california and we kind of he, steve's whole mantra was like just putting out records he putting out music that he liked he came out of chiptune, but he was very much interested in sort of synth-based stuff. And what's interesting is, like, Steve essentially was, like, kind of this foundational part of Synthwave. You know, he, like, Telefuture was one of the early labels doing what essentially became Synthwave. And he had releases from Betamax. He had a, the perturbator record. He released my records he really i mean there were like a bunch of vincenzo uh, vincenzo salvia was on that label loads of people that became kind of like later on were doing crazy things Troxum did a bunch of releases on there i love that dude um and you know st- Steve essentially hit me up and was like, we're thinking about doing a record or, you know, would you ever want to release? I think when he hit me up originally, he was like, I really want to release the Charles Park trilogy. Can we just do a physical release of that? I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to do that, but I just made this record and I sent him 88 and he was like, oh yeah, let's release this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And that was, yeah. and it was let's, one of the, yeah. f- one of the first releases they did, you know? And um, I think, you know, looking back on it i'm like the important thing for me and i i think this carried through to wilderness and it carried through to a lot of my music is like you have to have space to kind of breathe and you have to have space to just let the thing happen and sometimes that's locked in the grid and it's like you know intense bass and intense drums and all this other shit. and sometimes it's just you hit record and you just start playing, you know? Um, And I remember when Steve went out and was like trying to solicit remixes for this record. Uh, I know Nick, I know Betamax did a a remix for this record, but we went out to uh, Anthony pilot priest to get a remix for it. And Anthony was like, I want to do standing at the edge of a moment. You know, he like, he knew right away, like, I want to do this, like, emotional weirdness, you know, which makes a lot of sense for him. And I think, um, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think for a lot of people, if you're out there and you're making a record and you, you're you listening to it as a whole, don't be afraid to lay it all out in your, in your whole, whatever DAW you're using. Like, lay the whole record out. Don't be afraid to just make a new track and just set up a synth and hit record and just play things and see what happens because smart. Yeah. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what kind of weird emotional moments you can gather. And, and this track is absolutely a Testament to that. It was like, okay, you know, you hear the waves crashing. And I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like the way the records progress, the story of Val being in this house pursued by aliens, the waves don't really make any sense. (laughs) <laughs> but it's like, but but again, like it's a it's again it, it, the title uh, gives you know gives it away. It's this moment. You yeah, know? and I think, um, yeah, it was it just made it just made the most sense in in the space. So, yeah, I was I was uh, it was a cool learning moment for me because it taught me to trust the process and it taught me to don't ever don't ever uh underestimate or betray the space for just reacting to something emotionally you know i mean in a way it's almost like it kind of feels like there's a kinship to the scoring work that i do now because i just sat i just sat with the record and and just played some things along along to the feeling of it you know and here it is it's like a little interlude you know um Mm -hmm. so yeah
0: cool Should we move on to the next track? Let's do it. All right. So, nothing can stop us now. This is System
1: 96, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade.
2: Your thoughts, sir. So, I mean, I I remember this track being the moment to kind of, like, let loose. I think that uh, when I listen to it now... I hear immediately Never Ending Story. I hear immediately uh, kind of uh, a little bit of like The Warriors. I feel like in the grand scheme of my kind of, you know, how like every John Carpenter soundtrack that you listen to, there's always that one track that he does where it's almost like it's, it's, it's kind of simultaneously the weirdest track on the soundtrack, but it's also like, so it's like, there's kind of, you're listening to it and you're like, is this, is this bad? But then at the same time, you're also like, <laughs> it's kind of awesome at the same time. There's that one, there's a track at the end of escape from New York where it's like almost like a, a it's like a, there's like a, it's like a kind of rockin', like there's like an electric guitar and stuff. And it's like a drum in the background and like, it's like they got through the entire soundtrack and it's like Carpenter's like, let's just come over and jam. Let's just jam it out. (laughs) It's a jam session. I, with this song, I felt like, okay, so we've been through all this stuff. We need this moment to just go crazy a little bit. And and it's also like I wanted to remind myself that it's a science fiction record you know and i feel like this track is very sort of uh last starfighter you know it's got this like whole vibe of like it's a it's a it's a big kind of chordal progression that keeps modulating and moving around doing all these weird things but then it has this really intense disco kind of backbeat and there's all these like weird pitch droppy like disco dives you know going on in the background and I, you know, I feel like it was important for the record to have a moment like that, like you had to have, and the title reflects that it's sort of like this, uh, this triumph, you know, and in the grand parlance of like my mental, like making the record, I think mentally where I was at with thinking about Val and her character and like running around fighting all these things so it's like she's had this moment to reflect you have the introspective nature of Homecoming, and then you have this sort of interlude moment that's sort of calm before the storm. So this track is sort of the storm. You know, it's like sort of like, okay, there's a bit of like a cosmic battle that's happening. Like I, I grew up watching Masters of the Universe, the Dolph and He-Man movie you know, like over mm-hmm. and over again. Right, and obviously, like there's, yeah. <laughs> there's an element of that in there too, of like just uh, sort of the crazy, you know, I remember uh, Gwildor standing out there with the Cosmic Key talking about, you know, going, the tones, Kevin, like that kind of shit. <laughs> 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 I think, you know, I remember uh, when this record came out, I had a, I think I had a Facebook page. For the longest time, I had a Facebook page. And if you were an artist and you had a like music Facebook page, you had to put, different information in for like okay if you have a manager and so my my manager email address which didn't go anywhere was Kevin tones at Xanadu <laughs> dot, <it was> like <laughs> xanadu..org or something and like it was it was that and so like I think um you know I, I feel like this is a uh, a moment that's kind of like tongue-in-cheek it's a little bit there's like levity there but it's also like this cosmic, As a kid in Cleveland, we used to go all the time to this place called USA Skates, which was like a a roller rink. And I remember we would go, uh, I mean, you could go for birthday parties, but like a lot of times we would just go for because you could go. And like, this is pre-roller blades. This is like old school skates. And as a kid, I was like, man, I'm not good at this. (laughs) But you would skate around and there was a center area where you could like roll into the center And there was a a place where you could kind of sit and it was like darker and like you could hang out if there were like girls there you were trying to talk to you, like go in there and talk to these girls. And But there was also in the corner, there was a booth and you had DJ, there was a DJ up there playing music. And like, I remember they would play Depeche Mode and Personal Jesus would come on and like all the girls in the roller rink would do this like Personal Jesus dance. What? like a synchronized <laughs> dance while skating
0: like the electric slide but for personal Jesus exactly and
2: Tired. as a kid as an adolescent kid that was magic and i remember like thinking about you know when i hear this song i think about that i think about the sort of like you know it's sort of like fireworks going off it's like there's a craziness happening and um you just go with it you know and yeah so it's like uh cleveland you know usa skates hanging out in the arcade going to roll you know trying to make it around the roller rink a few times not look like an idiot and uh you know catch a few depeche mode jams and uh have a good night you know i relate
0: to this so much because (laughs) i grew up in the middle of nowhere but we had roller rinks
3: yeah, and those thing. exact
0: things. You had the little bit of like arcade in the front of the building or wherever it was, and you had those little like spots yeah. where you could hang out and no one could really roller skate. Like you
1: just kind of glided around to like you did, did the that weird shuffle where it's like you 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 can't really turn right, so you're going switching from foot to foot. <laughs> I fe- I feel this too cuz I was been exactly in the same situation.
0: God, you just brought up a whole element of my childhood that I had completely forgot about. No, I like mean like birthday I think, parties at Roller I, Rinks.
2: Yeah, I think that like um I think it's easy to I mean, as a kid we used to go to like uh, you know, like there was like Chuck E. Cheese in Cleveland we had a thing called it was Mark's Funtime Pizza Palace. <laughs> That <laughs> sounds like a good time. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's basically a Chuck E. Cheese knockoff, but like not as extravagant, but still with animatronic dancing animals, like singing songs and things. But, you know, I look back on that stuff and I'm like, again, it goes back like the, I know the last time we talked, I was talking a lot about, you know, for me, synth wave or whatever you want to call it, you look at it and you go, there's a inherent debt, to the 1980s but you can go in a many you can go in many different ways you can go in in a kitschy direction you can go in a sort of trashy direction you can go in a cyberpunk direction i think that the thing that always appealed to me about the 1980s was sort of like this boundless enthusiasm for fantasy yeah because the times in the 80s were really shitty (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, was really, it was really hard. True you had you had real distinct dilemma. You had the Cold War. You had the stock market. You had sort of the specter of technology and the future. You had the AIDS crisis. You had uh, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. You had all these things that were just intense. And I think that you look at the art that comes out of the 1980s, specifically when it comes to like film uh and especially music and television you had a real hard lean into science fiction you had a real hard lean into futurism you had a real hard lean into fantasy and you know the end result of that is just absolute magic that warped a bunch of young minds yeah who who then at some (laughs) point down the road go i'm gonna make a record you know and here we are and i think right you know that's there's a debt there for sure and i think that um you know to me that's the appeal the appeal of the 1980s is not necessarily like you know uh the kitschiness of it it's the the real kind of catastrophe of it that's that's sort of hiding under all the fancy shiny shit um yeah and so when i approached making music with Sense, it was like that's the way i looked at it i was like yeah it's it's uh sure we can have a track like standing on the edge of a moment and then it leads into this you know and mm-hmm. and that's okay because it's all an emotional thing you know
1: this track always surprises me when i get to it when i'm listening to yeah <laughs> the record because everything else has a build-up to it while this one is just it's starting right away
2: yeah I mean that that's kind of the way i looked at it like i remember i remember as a kid watching um a movie i watched a lot as a kid was a uh, flight of the navigator yeah, which is a totally insane disney movie um and again same kind of thing i mean that whole soundtrack i think that's a sylvestri sound scored that um but it's like a it's like an insane Fairlight soundtrack it's a totally insane synth kind of thing. Um, But again, crazy spaceship. It has that amazing opening sequence with the Frisbees, but they're like flying saucers. But I love the whole, the thing I love about that movie is when they do the time jump and he comes back and he shows up at his house and his family's not there and he freaks the fuck out. And it's terrifying as a kid, you're watching this and it's like, you're a kid and your family is gone, and that's mortifying. Like, yeah, even to an adult, you see that, and you're like, Well, that's scary. And I love the sequence at the end of that movie when he's trying to find his house, and his brother runs up on the roof and throws off, and shoots off all the fireworks. And you know, it's the same kind of thing. Like, when you get to this track, it's like, If I wanted to feel like fireworks, I wanted to feel like uh, a moment of like explosion and craziness, you know um because i think in so many movies you you look at et et is the same kind of thing it's like uh et is a fantasy movie but at its core it's about divorce and it's about how kid the kids parents are getting divorced and the kids are like really fucked up about it and (laughs) like they're really struggling and Luckily, this alien shows up and like, yeah, throw an alien know, into the mess. Yeah, kind of helps them, you know, get through get through it, you know. And that's kind of the whole yeah. be good and like, you know, Elliot's connection. And then uh, the alien has to leave, and like, and I, and honestly, I thought about that a lot. Uh, uh, Flight of the Navigator was a big influence, but also the end, the probably the last fifteen minutes of E.T. You know, when he's in the woods and he's got to say goodbye, and he gets on the ship and he just sails away, you know. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
0: Are we ready to move on?
2: Let's do it. All right. So this is Don't Wait For Me. This is Street Cleaner, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade. Don't Wait For Me. So I need to correct myself. This is the track that Anthony went after, Pilot Priest but it's a similar thing because like between this one and standing on the edge of a moment, both were kind of created. Once the album was set up in sequence, it was just sort of responding to the, the sort of, it was like, I looked at the whole thing and felt like something was missing. And so I sort of came up with this interlude that was going to lead us, you know, through, it was going to create this sort of bridge that was needed to go through to the rest of the record, and again, same thing. Like I think, uh, largely built out of a DX7, um, and this one really owes a debt of gra- gratitude to Zimmer, to Hans Zimmer, to the soundtrack to the Thin Red Line, which is one of my another one of my favorite soundtracks, and he did this thing where he was doing these. Um, he kept doing these weird inverted thirds where he was like moving around on the keyboard. And um, in that score, like I always loved the way that it feels like, I think that there's a, there's something like, I don't know, there's something emotionally like mysterious and ominous about the way those chords sort of play off of each other. And um when I sat down and I just started playing the notes, they're all minor thirds and they're just kind of bouncing around. And um, I don't know. I I loved, I love the idea of just creating an interlude. I love the idea of the opportunity to introduce more kind of strange noise into the record. Um, When I was in college, I took a class in soundtrack design and we talked a lot about the movie Blue Velvet. And in Blue Velvet, Blue Velvet's the last movie David Lynch did with Alan Splett, who is his sound designer, who did famously did Eraserhead, and I mean, the guy's just a genius, and when you hear a lot of the sounds, like if you watch the the last uh, season of uh, Twin Peaks that, that Lynch did, I mean, Lynch did all of the sound design on that season himself, but it, I mean, he's clearly a student of Splett and like what Alan did, and I the thing I love about Blue Velvet is that opening scene when they kind of pan down this sort of uh, you know, idyllic suburban neighborhood and the picket fence, and you see the guy and he's watering his lawn and he has like a heart attack and he collapses and then the camera goes into the grass and there's like all the insects like devouring everything. And it's kind of like the, the analogy for the film, which is like everything looks real good on the outside. There's a great old movie called Naked Kiss by sam fuller who's like a great pulp director um and it's a similar setup it's like the movie opens it has this great opening shot and there's a woman and she's a prostitute and she's like in an apartment with her with the john and he pulls her wig off she's wearing like a wig and she pulls it off so she's like completely bald you know she's got like this cap on underneath and she takes one of her high heels off and like beats him with it it's like an old black and white pulp film and so she beats him up with it. And he's like laying on the ground. And I think she like sprays like a, one of those old seltzer water bottle, you know, like an old <laughs> and but essentially she she's like, I've had it. I'm washed up. I can't deal with this anymore in the city. I'm going to the suburbs. And she goes to the suburbs and she realizes that the suburbs are exactly the same, but it's all under underneath. You know, it's like the insidious... it also sounds
0: like a plot to most John Waters movies. Exactly. And
2: <laughs> yeah. um, it's a great film. And, uh, and, you know, it follows the same metric. And I think it's something I think about a lot. I think that when I'm writing music, I always look for that noise, I look for that sound, that's like a strange texture, that's going to represent that, you know, because I think, I remember when I was in high school, I got the Autoker record, uh i'm gonna butcher the name because all their titles make no sense but try repete or try repeat or i don't know how you say it but i remember the vinyl you would pull the sleeve out and it would say uh you know include surface noise like the idea of like put the the record the needle goes on the vinyl record and you hear the noise of the vinyl going around um which is something that a lot of producers do i know like uh you know like Alan Brax, the famous, uh, you know, Fred Falca, the bass player who did a bunch of tracks with Alan Brax, amazing musician. Uh, you know, in his studio, he would have like a turntable and he would put a record on it and drop the needle on it, but then play the mix he's working on. And he would look at the turntable and be like, if it felt right, if it felt like he was listening to a record, he knew he'd like, was on to something, you know, like he wasn't actually listening to anything on the record, he was listening to his mix. And I know, like, uh, when I was when I started working with Burns with Pilot Priest, he was the same way. He was like always mix like vinyl noise into your into your mixes. He was in a motion picture soundtrack. It's all like, every track has like the crackle in it. And I think there's something to that. You know, it's sort of like uh, when somebody makes album artwork and they put sort of the patina or the like burned in or the the crease of the vinyl sleeve or something you know it gives it that kind of warped lived in texture which i think is uh you know part of uh, part and parcel to the whole you know, we talked about aliens you know aliens has this great blue collar futurism it's like everything all the screens all the typefaces all the things about it are are lived in and weathered and uh, that's uh, super important. I think that makes makes it feel real. Um, so this, this track operated from that perspective.
0: Awesome. Kyle, you have any questions about that? All right. Anything else to say?
3: No, we're good.
0: <laughs> All right. So moving on to Val.
3: The motherfucking
0: paradise I Val, I want to say before you get into it, it gives me kind of a Vangelis sort of
2: vibe to it. Yeah, that's that's very generous of you to say. I think um, I've always, you know, obviously Blade Runner was a huge, a huge influence, and I wanted to have. Uh, something that was kind of spacey, and dangerous and ominous, um, and it, it's it's kind of I mean it was by design that the second half of this record was gonna feel heavier, you know it was gonna be less about the kind of like he- it was gonna be less about the kind of progressive kind of uh, um, more dancey beat heavy things and more about emotional because i feel like once you've given all this uh you know bandwidth for uh kind of beat heavy hooky kind of tracks you want to have a little a moment to kind of uh how you know emotionally reflect on what's going on and then also to kind of feel this weight you know like gravity in a way and so this track obviously is a title to the main character of the film. I felt like it was kind of this great, I feel like all the, all those movies that we've talked about through the process of this all have that scene where the main character is, um, is sort of emotionally tormented. And I wanted, uh, I wanted this track to kind of be that I wanted it to kind of be the feeling of, uh trepidation and worry and a little bit of uh uh fear and uncertainty and i also wanted it to be the the track itself is rooted in this single kind of root drone note there's like this low bass note that's happening that's not really doing anything and then about two-thirds of the way through the track, there's a modulation and that low note changes, which I think is also this kind of great device in music where you you get people really droned in, like zoned into this note, and then you switch it on them. And I, uh, you know, I, I I love that about it. I thought that um, it, oper- it it gave you this opportunity to have more something that's a little bit more introspective And, you know, Rachel had graciously given me a bunch of VO for the record. And I, I really wanted to kind of like do justice to that, you know, to the emotional bandwidth that she'd presented that, that really like drove in, you know, dove into the, the feeling of it. And so that's, that's more or less what this was. It was like this moment to sort of give this very grounded Approach to Val as a character, to her strength, and to um, the scariness of what she was sort of up against.
0: Yeah, I think it's very effective in in conveying that, and it's like the whole experience with eighty eight eighty eight so far. It really plays out in a very cinematic. 80s like perfectly 80s kind of way with the different movements and the different moments in those kinds of films so in a way it's like i feel like the initial short was a, a jumping off point for your own ability to kind of create that film or that thing its story in your mind
2: sure and i think I think, I mean, if you look back at a lot of films, the films I grew up watching, the ones that were really important to me, like even the ones that were sort of trashy kind of like 80s staples, right? Like as a kid, as like an adolescent kid, there were definitely like fantasy movies that were like, wow, there's like really, there's real heaviness, like Never Ending Story or, Mm -hmm. you know, um there's tons of stuff but then there were movies like as a as an adolescent i'm like yeah i want to rent all the schwarzenegger movies you know hell yeah And i remember watching uh you know like a movie like red heat right uh lesser known in the lexicon of the <laughs> schwarzenegger you know i mean even sure. even something like commando you know like you know you go beyond that so you, you look at red heat and you're like okay red heat's a movie about a guy who's russian Who comes to the states and he's partnered up with Jim Belushi, and it's kind of goofy. It's kind of like a funny, you know. It's like it's like they're they're looking at Schwarzenegger. Okay, what can we plug him into? Okay, so you're a Russian, you're KGB, and you come over here and you have to do this. But if you if you listen to the score, which I think the score in Commando is Horner, I want to say, James Horner, um, and it's amazing. It's an amazing digital synth masterpiece. Uh, it's this weird late '80s thing where, uh, and it has these great moments where he does these like crazy dives. I got a a few years ago. I bought a synth off this guy here locally. Had one. Uh, it's an Insonic VFX SD. That's the name of the synth, and it's a great digital wavetable esque synth so it's sort of like combinations of synthesis and samples and it's digital and it's beautiful and I love it and what the best part of it is if you hit like a low octave uh, you know a couple notes and then you hit that pitch bend and you just drop it that's the sound like that's the red heat sound like he did this thing where he hit this low octave and he hit that pitch bend down and it's this weird sad dangerous emotional dive and the thing is a movie like red heat doesn't deserve that (laughs) you know (laughs) but it but it's so effective and it works it's magic you know and it's a testament to the magic of james horner um and you know jim cameron uh uh, uh sort of harness that later on with like uh the abyss and things like that like just that whole sliding like there's a there's a level of drone that's existing there but it's also about the emotional i don't know there's an a um, there's an, a real emotionality that's like scary and uh uh you know it's like a warning and uh i miss that i miss those moments in modern films uh, yeah because as a kid that was the shit that scared the fuck out of me you know because as uh, you know again like uh the moment in a in um flight of the navigator you know it's like it's a disney movie and it's like oh you know sarah Jessica parker with some like pink strands in her hair and he's at NASA and it's crazy. Uh, But then he's like, he shows up and like he's in his house and there's like old people there and it didn't make any sense. And it's not his family. And that scared me as a kid. And like, just when I started making music, (laughs) (laughs) when I started making sense, like music with sense, I was like, that's what I want to hone in on. You know, I want to hone in on the stuff that really spooked me out. I don't, I, I, yeah, like, you know, Atreyu riding across the plains on Artex and the arpeggiation that's happening there is magic. But when you see Gamork and he's in the cave and he's like fucking scary, (laughs) that's the stuff that I remember, you know, like that's the, that's, those are the moments like Dark Crystal, you know, like that's the stuff that you're like, wow, that's a lot. And, you know, nowadays, it's like the stuff that they make for kids is not... I mean, in the 80s, it was like, yeah, this is scary stuff. It's dark, it's weird, it's spooky. It I felt mean, like even, they they yeah. dealt with,
0: like, actual very real things, you know... Practical, yeah.
2: Practical practic- things. Practically made. I mean, even something like Labyrinth, you know, you look at that, and you're like, yeah, Labyrinth is a, has scary stuff in it, you know? And again, it's another... It's another uh, metric that involves like uh, a baby's missing, you know, David Bowie's wandering around in his crazy tight pants with his like (laughs) weird glass sphere ball things that he's like, you know, uh, juggling around. But he stole this baby and he's like hanging out with all these weird monsters. And it's like, yeah, and it's surface. It's like if you if you walk into a pitch meeting in Hollywood and you're like, here's my idea. David Bowie's got a crazy perm, and he's like doing stuff and he's singing some he's songs. Wearing a cod piece. And he's wearing a cod piece. And <laughs> yeah, like that all sounds real great and ridiculous, but that movie has genuine moments of like really scary shit in it. And I think that like when I started making music, I was like, I wanna hone into that. I wanna hone into the moments that are really like scary because that's the stuff that resonated for me as a kid, you know. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, like I think I think Synthwave as a genre is there's a lot of space for uh, you know, connectivity to nostalgia. Yeah. But to me it was more about the emotional through line of the things that I grew up uh, you know, that that, that that dominated my anxieties as a kid (laughs) terrified you yeah because that stuff is galvanizing and it pushes you and it and as a kid who then moves into a creative field it's like yeah like uh that's the stuff i want to do you know that's the stuff i want to like dig into because yeah that stuff's real that's the realest thing you know
1: you did The Impossible, and you made Red Heat sound like the coolest fucking movie ever. <laughs> like, now I have to go back and watch it just because
2: of that. And I Seriously,
1: know. and everyone that listens to this is going to be like,
2: I need to fucking check out Red Heat. No, Red Heat is worth checking out. I think it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It has a lot of ridiculousness. But man, I'm serious. Watch the movie, and specifically listen to the music the music in that movie is amazing it's a walter hill movie and it's james horner james horner's composed the score yep. james horner also did commando so you get that one two punch and he i think he nods james horner was also big into like he would do like nods to his own stuff so like in in red heat, you get a bit, a little bit of that like weird steel drum stuff that he did in Commando, where like in the beginning, you know, because the beginning of Commando is like a sitcom opening, where like Arnold popped <laughs> down a huge tree and he's carrying it over his shoulder and he has the chainsaw and then he like throws it down because his because do- Alyssa Milano runs up and is like dad and then they're like eating so ice cream to together feed and some like deer. you know, <laughs> it's it's thoroughly ridiculous. But both of those films have amazing scores. Commando is a completely ridiculous movie, but Red Heat has this weird, I don't know, scariness. There's like a griminess to it. Like I would yeah. s- I would say Red Heat feels almost in places like there's a whole sequence where he goes to this like weird apartment complex to track down Ivan and like there's a prostitute there and like it's all grimy and it feels like Blade Runner. Like, it feels like there's a there's a real, like, I don't know, maybe I'm way off on this, but, like, I feel like it there's a weird uh, thing that's going on there where it's just, it felt like the gravity of it was, like, real. And it suspended the idea of, like, Arnold, you know, with his crazy Austrian accent being a Russian <laughs> in his big Russian, you know... KGB outfit, which is just Hollywood being like, yeah, this is what a Russian would wear. Sure, yeah, it's what Russians do. It's what Russians they sound like. It's fine, shit, you know. And um, yeah, it's a, it's worth revisiting for sure.
1: It's, it's been, I think, thirty years. You should watch it since I've
2: seen it. I think it's on Amazon. You should watch it. It's amazing. All right. Yeah. So moving on to the last track. Let's do it. All right. No regrets. This is Android Automatic, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade.
1: All right, lay it on us. We want to hear about this.
2: So, I mean, it's the it's the the big uh, kind of emotional release of the the album. And I think after you've gone through all of this stuff, I think it revisits the same kind of dead bass sound from a glowing light. So, it has a bookend kind of quality to it. And I think that for me, you know, I, I think the title was really important. I mean, you're talking about all this emotional bandwidth, and you're coming through, and it's like, here we are, we're at the end, and there's no regrets. You did everything you had to do. And um, it has, there's something about the drumbeat. In this song, that always gets me, because the drum beat feels heavy. It has like a heaviness to it, the way that it's kind of paced. And I think that there's a lot of songs that I grew up listening to that have a similar kind of uh, a, a kind of weight behind them, where it's almost like it's almost it's not a shuffle. It's almost like a there's almost like a like it wants to sound like it's maybe lagging a little bit. It's funny because like before i started making synth music i was primarily making like a bunch of idm music like just crazy stuff and i always got off on the idea of like a song that sounded like somebody pushed over the china hutch you know it was like somebody <laughs> like just the song sounded like it could come off the rails at any minute and so with no regrets the drums in that feel that way to me like they're keeping time but there's almost like this sense of like it's like just it's 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 like you you know the horses like run the entire uh, way and now it's just like struggling it's just kind of like it's going it's like it's trying to keep cadence you know and to me you get to the end of this, this record and it's like, that's what this track does. It's kind of like, okay, we've made it, you know, here we are. And so there's an element of triumph to it. There's an element of, uh, you know, Val, uh, being victorious and there's no distinct ending to the idea. Like i never thought about it. Like, okay, this is what happens. This is how she wins. Um, it was more just, it was more just like a a compilation of ideas of the films that inspired it you know like the and it's not even necessarily the actual endings of things it's like uh you know the shot of ripley in the in the the loader you know when you realize it's like you you get through in a whole you know, a whole series of events you know you look at in a in a way like alien is a lot like the movie heat You know, they introduce all these characters and then they kill them all, you know? And so you get to the end of this thing and you're like, wow, all this shit's happened. It's intense and you're on your own. You're stuck. But then she shows up and she's in that uh, that exosuit and you're like, okay, she's got this. Like, there's a momentary relief of like, she's going to win, you know? And that's what I wanted this song to be. I wanted the song to be that moment of like, it's the final moment that they give you where they pan over and you're like, oh shit, we got this, you know? And I think in, in a lot of those, and again, it, it goes back to like, uh, you know, in aliens, it's this, it's that shot of Sigourney Weaver in evil dead. It could be a bunch of different things. I mean, the moment when he, when he sticks that chainsaw on his, on his arm, you know, and you're like, okay, wait a minute. He's got, he's got a chance. Um, I think in a lot of ways, like, that was it. You know, it's kind of like, okay, we got this. And um, it's weird, because, like, making this record, it wasn't... This record didn't have the trials and tribulations that most records have of, like, oh, man, what am I going to do? How am I going to finish it? It just happened. It just fell out, and it was like, this is the track that ends the record. And it felt it's funny because a glowing light was the end credits track for, uh, the short. And in a lot of ways, this is the end credits track for the record, you know, like, the titles start to start, start to scroll and that baseline starts going and it just, and it just goes. And, um, that's the way I always looked at it. That's the way I approached it. And, um, it's crazy. It's crazy to look back on a record from a while ago, you know, and to see the way it's aged and how it's uh progressed through time and and again, like I'm I'm eternally grateful that people got into this record and and listened to it and appreciated it. I'm a, I'm grateful that you guys are like, let's talk about it today, you know, like in 2021 and I Um, you know, the song, the song functions for me as a kind of, as like a long exhale, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was always very, very very grateful to, um, had the experience to make, make this music and to score the short and to put a thing together that, that, uh, could branch off of this crazy short film and go in a weird direction and see where it goes, you know? So,
0: yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, you know, it's carried you through a long ways.
2: It's yeah, a journey. It is. I mean, it's a, there's a catharsis there. And I think uh, uh, the, the more time that's gone by, the, the ability to see it, I mean, the idea that th- this year, a glowing light gets to be in a big movie and uh and homecoming gets to be in a tv show like i think that's it's absurd it doesn't make any sense you know and i'm okay with that like i think um i think that uh never say never you know if anything yeah. i can i can impart that wisdom to people that are listening to this that are making music like don't give up uh you know don't ever think that the thing you're doing is is not gonna mean anything or do anything. Like, you never, never know. fucking know. It's crazy. It is crazy. And um, just believe in yourself and do the thing, and just keep doing the work. Like, I think that. Uh, yeah, I mean it's wild it's why i mean the timing of his funny like the serendipity of like making this record and then talking about it and the fact that joy was here today and we were talking about it and like i told him we were gonna, i was going to come on here and talk to you guys about this album and like he kind of laughed and was just like you know it's weird it's it's a weird thing to get to make a thing and then uh you know see what life it takes on of its own you know mm-hmm. so no regrets
0: I want to say thank you for sharing in this, for letting us be just a a blip on that journey with
1: you. Uh, I will say that I have re... Well, not renewed because I'm always interested in this album. I guess Uh, additional interest is now invested in this album, uh, knowing more about the film and how it progressed with that rather than, you know, before just taking it as just a musical album on its own before that.
0: You get uh, the pleasure of rediscovering this album from a completely different viewpoint. That too.
1: And There's a a bunch of movies I need to catch back (laughs) up on again now after this. You've taken us on a memory lane,
0: (laughs) and uh, that's been really special. So I appreciate that. And I feel like everyone that's going to listen to this is going to have the same experience and uh, feeling that we have. Uh, Is there any closing thoughts to this album that you'd like to share?
2: Nothing nothing that's gonna be like some big closing moment. I look at it as <laughs> like, at the end of this. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I think I've yammered on for so long about this. But I think that uh, I would I would just say to anybody that has supported this record or listened to it and enjoyed it, like I'm I'll be eternally grateful for that. And I think that um, you know, just the idea that you could make something that means something to somebody is magic. And like I, I um, I would I would hope that you know it inspires people to to make cool stuff. I mean, like I think uh, you know that's that in and of itself is a gift. So it's a it's a weird thing to go back and listen to after so long and to think about it. And I I can I can sort of gleefully report that all of the experience of making this record is still a joy and uh i have i have no regrets about the process and i think that um it's a i don't know it's weird it's a weird catharsis to kind of like uh, make music and to put it out in the world and to see how it exists and changes over time and the music even people listening to me yammer on about it, like, uh, you know, the, th- the way that it, the things that it means to me are just part of it. You know, like the, the reactions that you guys have to the record and what it means to you, the, the idea that you would have a podcast and invite me on to talk about it, you know, <laughs> like, but then all the people out there that, that have heard it and, and care about it and, you know, way that it that they react to it like those are like just like you said earlier absolutely valid absolutely 100 percent part of the story you know mm-hmm. regardless of what i did um and that's that's crazy that's insane yeah. and um so yeah I, i'm i'm grateful to have made it and to uh, share it and let it belong to other people
0: well, I think on that note, is a perfect uh, way to send off this episode. Really appreciate your time, Matt. It's been like so insightful and entertaining, and really appreciate your time. Uh, really appreciate listening to this record with you and, and talking about it. So, you know, until next time, this is Eric. And this is
2: Scott. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Steve.